Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the Kindle award-winning novel, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as Pretty Ugly and the Hotel series. Joining me today, as always, is my Vox Vomitus vixen, Alison Martine, authoress of The Bourbon Books, which includes the award-winning novel Dibs Since September and Move On Melinda. With us today, we have Marie Sutro here to talk about her amazing new book that's coming out next week, maybe? I should next week or this week? I'm bad at math. Too. Okay. Like it's later in April, isn't it? It's later in April. Her new book, Dark Obsessions. Welcome, Marie. Thank you. Thank you for having me, ladies. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for being here. Um, for obviously, everybody's just tuning in right now. Uh, if the three of us seem frazzled, we've had technical <laughs> difficulties up until like 6.01. So um, right as here. Marie said, right before we went live, a little chaos is good. And I feel like that's actually the whole theme of our show. So <laughs> we're just embracing that today in we're the biggest it. possible way. <laughs> so people watching live, if something weird happens, mm-hmm. like my camera falls off. <laughs> just that already happened. I got it already happened once. That was part of the pre-show. <laughs> That was our pre-show. That was the and, opening act. And it's happening now. I'm living in an eclipse where my computer is trying to <laughs> auto-correct the light. So everything's fine. Do not adjust your monitors. It's me. It's my fault. I don't know what's happening, but it's me. This is what's going to make people just start to listen to the audio. <laughs> like they are just having issues. So on that note, Marie, thank you so much for being here. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself and then a little bit about your new book. And the series in general, because this is the second book in a series. It is the second book. I write crime thrillers. And this particular series follows Detective Kate Barnes. She's a detective from San Francisco. Uh, She's fresh off the heels of a very nasty case with a really insidious serial killer. And she's kind of reeling from the after effects of that. And she's headed to the Olympic Peninsula in Washington to try to resolve some old issues that she's had. And while there, she gets drawn into another equally horrendous race against the clock to save a series of very young victims. Um, For me, I kind of came at writing later. I loved reading as a kid. I read everything that I could, everything under the sun, Uh, was especially drawn to the mysteries, you know, solving puzzles, Encyclopedia Brown when I was little, you know, who stole the lunch pail type of stuff. I was going to ask, no lunch pails involved in this No lunch pails in your No. I was going to ask if at an early age you, like, snuck reading really dark books and that's what made you start to write crime fiction the way you do? You kind of know something about that, don't you? (laughs) I don't. I don't. Actually, I mean, for my own personal, yes, I do. (laughs) But I, I don't know. Do you have a dark book in your past that you read it and it broke your brain in half and then you became? You know, I read a lot. I read a lot of the classics, obviously read everything under the sun, but uh, it wasn't just mysteries. It was the dark ones that did call to me. And I probably started on Stephen King a little earlier, maybe. No, no. There's no such thing as too young for Stephen King. No, thank you. I agree. 
I mean, I mean, I'm I'm a Stephen King fan, and if anything, I say I came to it late because I knew it was scary, and it took my sister beating me over the head with the stand saying it's not all horror. Some of it's just other stuff. Just some of it's it. just real depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the stand is not. It's it's an apocalyptic dystopia end of the world saga. It is not horror, and I wouldn't say the Dark Tower is really horror. A lot of his stuff is not horror. Will I go read some of the true horror stuff? Generally, no. That's Jen's job. <laughs> I'll read it all. <laughs> so which Stephen King book was your first? Do you remember? And how old were you? And how old were you? Seven? No, not that crazy, <laughs> but maybe 11. My yeah. brother used to read them. And so I was like, what is, and I want to say, was it, hmm, it wasn't the stand. I didn't get to the stand until much later. And I was kind of glad because the themes and the concepts, I think you need a little bit of time on this it's planet for 11 year olds it's, it's kind of not aimed at 11 year olds yeah it's kind of at a 30,000 you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean it's a 30, I mean, I in high school but but still yeah it, it, it's pretty pretty intense but um yeah I just I, I was always kind of drawn and I think I think maybe part of it has to do with the fact that my dad was a cop and so he would tell stories that probably the average kid you know he, he wasn't crazy, but you know, you try to make stories kid appropriate, but sometimes you'd walk in, you'd be talking to somebody and you'd hear a little I more. feel like a police yeah. officer in San Francisco would be, it would be hard for them to have kid appropriate stories. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was a really special guy and he was, he was really good at kind of compartmentalizing that. In fact, if you ever met him, you never would have guessed that he had dealt with some of the things in his life that he had. And San Francisco um, has a ton of serial killers. Well, Sorry, I got so excited. <laughs> You're like, so many serial killers. You're so excited about I it. don't think that's going to be on the travel brochure. <laughs> well, it will attract a certain kind of crowd. Like it probably will. Like me. Yeah. <laughs> it probably will. But yeah, I think just kind of growing up that way and hearing things like that and understanding that, you know, there was always kind of a dichotomy where my friends would be like, well, I want to give you this and I want to give you that. And I'd be like, yeah, but do you know what can happen when you do that? <laughs> do you know what happens when you go in the woods? Yeah. And so, um, so that that's kind of a lot of that. Park's not so good. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so it was just, it was just kind of, yeah, I was drawn at an early age, right? And uh, it kind of bit me. And then the other influence I think that hit me a lot was Alfred Hitchcock. Like, oh, yeah. I love suspense. And I try to carry that into my work where a lot of people have said, hey, your stuff is exceptionally dark and it's so horrific and it's so detailed and it's gory. And I said, and I always say, it's really not because I get you right up to the point of something happening. Then we go Hitchcock, we turn the camera, it goes black. And then we <laughs> exactly. go back and we talk to a else. You know, coroner or something and the coroner tells you but you don't experience it as the reader whatever That's this poor true. person went through yeah you know? and yeah. not even not even to do spoilers because some of the stuff that happens because we both read dark obsessions stuff that happens right at the beginning some of it's very horrific but we aren't happening with the horrific action but honestly though even just the description of how they're finding stuff is pretty intense so it, it's not like this is for 11 year olds just clarifying we are not yeah are this is a it's a grown-up book it's a grown-up it completely grown-up yes. um yeah but i appreciate it i love 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 all things dark and i love crime and i love serial killers like yeah all of that love it's it so much it's who i am but i also hate gore like 
So I'm, I'm like really grossed out very easily. And you did a good job of, as you said, like not grossing us out too much. Like, again, no spoilers, but perhaps a body is found in perhaps. dark obsessions that the way it's found thing. is yeah. uh-huh. and I thought I'm not gonna be able to handle this book and then I'm like oh no that scene was fine because you didn't really go there you went you there enough far yeah that my you imagination the did it. we look down in the pit but we don't fall into the pit how about that is that a good way of putting it well that is uh, a very like, please good don't way. zoom in <laughs> well, that is a very good way and thank you so much for saying that because uh it is a line I try to walk because I kind of have the same sensibility when I watch or read horror where there's that point of oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh and I don't think I can stand it but then if you go too far then I really can't you know yeah. and then I kind of walk away so um so thank you. It's definitely a balancing act as the writer of you want to, for me, it's, it's always been an interesting thing. I love murder. She wrote and all of those kind of cozy mysteries as well. Like I will seriously binge murder. She wrote like for a week solid. Right. I, you know, yeah, I always say, I'm like, I want someday to be able to write a cozy mystery. I don't think I have it in me, but like, I would love to be able to write like a cozy little mystery that takes place at a bed and breakfast. And I just want to go to a bed and too. breakfast and eat French toast. I know, basically, <laughs> maybe that's just what I want. I want to go away for the weekend. Yeah, but if Jessica Fletcher <laughs> for shows research, up, leave. just leave because bad things follow where she goes. This is true. But it's the one thing about Jessica and, and a lot of other folks in that category is when there's a dead body, it's like, hmm, that's a shame. <laughs> Oh, someone died. Okay. And then we go on and we, we, we do cute things and we meet nice people and we solve this mystery and there might be a little peril, but. But they still go horseback riding. Exactly. And, and like eat crepes. Yes. Yes. I have to take the flower arranging class. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I just, and I think again, it comes back to what my father did and knowing other people throughout my life who, who work in that field, that being around a dead body, no matter who it is, no matter, especially if they've been murdered, that's a crime against humanity. It's a violation Mm -hmm. and it takes a toll on people. And that's one of the things I've always been, um, it's been really important to me to, to kind of grapple with that uh, for Kate's character and for some of the other characters uh, to understand that it's not just a body. It was a person who had a family and hopes and dreams, and it is a violation anytime a life is taken. So for me, that's just always something that I think I confront it with that realism because I want people to understand it. Yeah. Well, you give it a gravitas that those shows just don't have because everywhere Jessica goes, another body pops up and she's just like, oh, what a shame and keeps going on. And she she doesn't ever seem to really stop to go, wow, how many murders have I encountered? This seems to be In a Maine, you know? <laughs> This is odd. And, and definitely the fact that we were coming into this for the second book and your main character, Kate, has already gone through so much trauma. She is still living a trauma-informed life. Like everything from starting with what she's kind of going there to do. And then she can't even, she's one of those people, you just can't take her anywhere because here you go. There's, there's more happening. And she just got pulled over by a cute cop. <laughs> Next thing you know, oh, she's dragged into it. This is why you don't give your numbers out to cops, ladies. You'll have to be asked to solve murders, you know? And that wasn't why you were there. <laughs> he was just trying to flirt at he was first. Just trying to flirt. 
but there was Italian food somewhere along the line. So I guess there I was Italian food and, and that is a fave. So yeah, I'm all about that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I was like, Oh, this is good. Best Italian food in the area. <laughs> There's nothing else in the area. So you had me at garlic bread. <laughs> So I have to tell you ladies the story about... Um, about garlic bread? Uh, kind of more about the Olympic <laughs> Peninsula itself and like what oh, you okay. find <laughs> when you like go to research your novels sometimes. So I had started writing this book and to me setting is, is really important. It's, yeah. It is that extra character that so many people say it is. And in the first book, you know, I was born and raised in, in the San Francisco Bay Area. I know all these places like exactly. You got it. And... When I wrote this new book, I knew Seattle, I knew Bellevue. I had sailed up and down the street of San Juan de Fuca. I had been to Vancouver Island, but I had never set foot in the Olympic Peninsula. And it really bothered me that I hadn't. And I got to about halfway through the book and or maybe almost three quarters. And it just every word this little voice was, you're a pretender. You haven't been there. That's right. Yeah. Like when research. it feels fake to you as the writer, you're like, oh no, people are going to know. Is that exactly. when the little voice says, go travel. I want to go travel. Go Let on a go. vacation. Vacation. <laughs> Peninsula. Vacation. Vacation. <laughs> no, we're just birds. Sorry. <laughs> that was literally, that was literally where I was. Yes. I was aching to go. Cause again, you're spending all this time researching this place. Right. And your imagination's going wild with okay, it. But time wise, the first book came out in 2017, halfway through this book. Are we in the middle of COVID? No, this is before okay. COVID. Okay. See, so I thought, I thought you were going to have to tell us that. And then we all got locked down and I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. Cause none of no, us. No, no, no. I, I was very lucky. So I, I, I finally booked this trip. I go up there and I wanted to do it solo without my husband, without anyone, because I needed to do this, right? I needed to breathe it and taste if there was garlic bread, taste the garlic bread, right? Yeah. And you so I, you had to, to find the best Italian food. Exactly. And really? you know, there's a, a coffee shop and I want to see, does this cop, could this shop coffee shop exist? And Eagle's Nest is a fictional town. So, you know, here I am with all this fiction. So I get up there and I get across the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, you know, I cross the sound and in about 20 minutes, I started having the weirdest Twilight Zone vibe. I don't know if you guys ever watched that show, um, yeah. Yeah. but I, <laughs> I just like every mile that went by, I became convinced that a sheriff was going to pull me over or something was going to happen. And I would end up in this town and not see the sign, right? Not know like in Twilight Zone that I'm in Eagle's Nest. That's not that supposed to be there. You'll end up in the city that you, you created. Exactly. And I kept thinking, I'm going to run into Kate. She's <laughs> like, I literally, like when you go somewhere and you know your friend is in that town or someone you know is in the town, I had this expectation, like I was going to see her there. Like Aww. she's here. I want to hang so out my creepy. characters. I'm sorry. You're creeped out. Well, I was going to say, I want to hang out with my characters. And you're like, oh, no, you're worried about it. Well, it was just this idea, like, would that have, like, would I have crossed the veil? Like, would I have a place I'm never And, you know, you know, if Kate's around, some serious crap's going down. So maybe it's not like a fun vacation spot. Exactly. I was was worried you were going to say you ran into that fish fowl statue and it talked to you or something because it did. I looked that up. Yeah, I looked it up and then I said, Allison looked it up and sent it to me. I was scared. It's not so bad. 
I was scared because I, again, I have like a lot of weird phobias and like fish creatures are one of them and like touching a fish and seeing a fish outside of water scares me. So I didn't want to look it up and uh, Allison sent it to me without even asking first. I told you it wasn't bad. Because <laughs> believe me, I'm traumatized by pretty much anything. And I was like, no, this is kind of funny. This is cool. You're yeah, it was cute. <laughs> if, I, if I would have been like, I wouldn't have sent it to you without saying, hey, guess what? Nightmare guy, <laughs> and then send it to you because yeah. I still would have done it, but I would have warned you. First. I know you would have been like, well, "Want to see something gross?" And I would have been like, "Yes." yes. <laughs> but just, but I just wanted to say I loved that you had all these inclusions, so that even though you had this this fictional town, you had all these things about real points of interest in the surrounding area that made it feel really grounded, including a very strange <laughs> fish wearing a bikini. Out, I don't know why, and like pink check tailors. Why? Why? There is a photo of me, and her name's Rosie. Um, there's a photo of me with Rosie that is uh, a little fun. It's a live photo. And let's just say I imagined Rosie as you see her in the photos on the internet, which is kind of fresh, but she's not really fresh, at least when I was there. Does she, she need a touch up? <laughs> the elements have been hard. They've been oh, hard. Rosie's aging like really bad. I relate, okay. And same, you, Rosie. Same. And if you ever thought it could be creepy, and, and you know, again, she's wearing high tops with the socks, you know, bunched up above it. And if you ever thought anything about that was creepy, the weathering on top of it makes it a whole new level of creepy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still bothered by, there's this statue that's in a plaza in Malibu, because I went to law school at Pepperdine, and it's like a kid reading, but the kid is a metal kid, and then it's got real looking overalls over it. So it's problematic because it looks like someone turned the child to metal, and that whatever bad metallurgical al- you know, alchemy did that, didn't touch their clothing because it, it looks enchanted and wrong. The fish doesn't bother me. <laughs> you know, I am so glad I'm not the only person who sees these things. No, I, it's this is making me feel good. This is like my therapy right now, ladies. Thank yeah, you. this is kind of what our show's about. It's yeah. why we do it for us. We're like, oh, we need therapy. Oh, let's let's have a podcast <laughs> let's instead. Let's do it with other authors. They let's do it with too. other authors. Um, there's, I think in San Francisco, there's all these creepy statues all around the city that are just like overly realistic because that's where my in-laws live and my father-in-law like brought us to see all of these creepy statues and we were like why are you showing these to us and he's like do you are want you your picture that picture wasn't with because they've got the guys who spray paint themselves silver and then no 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 these were like right? real statues okay just checking i'm like he yeah. wasn't trying to put one over on you because no 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 they were like as an, like a high schooler and all of us were going what what i don't understand what this is this is performance art i don't understand this yeah no those people freak me yeah, out in a different way <laughs> Well, and I was I was telling Jen after I looked up Marie the Fish that there was a statue that was at the it's Isomata, the Idlewild School of Music and the Arts, where we did band camp. And there was this log statue that we were all convinced was going to come to life and kill us in the middle of the night. And I had no murder vibes from the fish. So I was totally fine with it because I didn't feel like it was going to endanger my livelihood, even if it was in like three states away. Totally safe. <laughs> it's really funny, though, because the the way I wrote the scene where you meet her. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, it's, you know, she becomes a landmark, right, for people to notice. 
And I swear, I was on the lookout for this fish. I mean, people didn't know when I said, oh, I want to go and I, I need to go verify the locations. I need to make sure that my interpretation is right. Other than my husband, no one knew that Rosie was the biggest thing on my list that I needed to see. <laughs> and I still don't think people would understand um, just exactly what it means to the rest of us. I think people who live in the Clallam Bay area probably just have this perception it's rosy. And, you know, for me, I'm stuck between, you know, horror and fangirl, like all kind of rolling into <laughs> one. It's just, she, she's, she's amazing. And <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I mean, she just, los dos. why not both? <laughs> yeah. We'll just accept it. Bring them together. Did you immediately text your husband a picture of her when you saw her? Yeah. Of course. See, I'm going to my sister and anyone else who had accepted at the moment. Yeah. And that was just add us yeah. to the list of your people to send random pictures to because I appreciate those things. Yeah. Those are the kind of things that make my day. Well, I just, now I know I might have to forward you guys the photo after this. Please do. Uh, yeah, we would like please that. Do. I'd like That's that. Funny. Well, and I was going to say one of the things that makes it and beyond just Murray, but you have all these inclusions as you go through the story about things that happen in this area. And I don't know how much of that was part of your research beforehand or came out of this trip that because you have everything from like, hey, this is a really great place, except these strawberry fields used to belong to other people. And then, you know, after internment camps, they kind of just got bought out. And hey, Bellevue is nice, though, really, we swear. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. And I love those inclusions because it gives this this depth and this history beyond the immediacy of the story that a lot of times, even if you're describing the place really well, you wouldn't have because they don't have that background of how did this place get here. Yeah, and I think it's that's important for me as a writer because, um, and, and I go back to the show Lost, you know, when Lost first came out, one of the most fascinating things about it was they introduced you to these characters and then everyone slowly had a backstory reveal. And it was so funny because it challenged our perceptions of mm -hmm. who we thought they were. And sometimes because of that, it challenges our perceptions of who we think we are. And so when I say, you know, setting to me as a character, that is really important to me to kind of let people know this didn't just grow out of the ground one day and it's here right? It has a history just like people do. And it's important, I think, for, for people to feel that. Yeah, you know, and I, I love that. I love setting. I love it when it like creeps into the characters and it like starts to shade their emotions and shade how they're responding to things. Um, so I loved that so much. I did want to ask, so this book, obviously, you had to do a lot of research for. Do you, are you somebody who likes research or are you one of those people who's like, oh no, why did I do this to myself? I have to do all this research. God, why couldn't I have stayed? Why did she have to leave town? She should have just been in San Francisco. In San Francisco. I know San Francisco. <laughs> well, that was the funny thing. You know, originally uh, the book, as I had envisioned it, was going to take place in Seattle. She's a big city cop and she's going to go to another big city and it's really analogous. There's hills, there's Victorians, there's a big body of water, right? And, uh, and it was very approachable for me. But as I thought about where Kate was coming out of the first book, um, I really wanted there to be introspection and analysis. Mm -hmm. And when you're in the big city, you're moving all the time, everything's going at 90 miles an hour. And it doesn't always allow for that. So when I originally decided to, you know, put the first victim, that the victim would be discovered in the woods. Once I did that, 
I couldn't pull out of the woods. So I was kind of committed to a research project. Uh, as you both know, there are scenes in Bellevue, obviously, and in Seattle, but primarily it's the Olympic Peninsula. And I just, like I said, um, Kate just decided she wanted to be there. That's where that's where the story yeah. happened. Well, it, it weirdly made me want to go there. I'll be honest. I was just like, gosh, that sounds beautiful. And kind of like terrifying and eerie. Like it gave me like this whole Twin Peaks vibe. Which yeah, and and I actually just finished writing a book that's set in Seattle. So some of that was like, that's good. And I've been to Seattle, but there were many times when I wished I could have gone back to Seattle to check some of these things out because I had to just rely on the internet to confirm, okay, I remember it this way. Is this correct? And then I do a lot of fictionalization too. So it works and I stay more close. I'm not getting over to Bellevue, but I referenced Bellevue. And I was, when I was reading, I'm like, wait, did I, did I put that too close? And then I had to double check. Oh, no, no, that, that does make sense. If this was Bellevue, that, okay, we're good. We're good. Because the last thing you want is for somebody to go, this is completely unrealistic. Although I did have one beta tell me, um, are you sure about your flight times from um, John Wayne up to SeaTac? And I said, I Googled that. I double checked that. I made sure. But no one will ever know until you're a writer how many things that people are passionate about that you wouldn't think yeah. people would be passionate about. But they are. They're I very think passionate about a reality it. thing. And I think there's, when you're writing something like science fiction or fantasy, there's a little bit more wiggle room. But when you're dealing with, and this was a rom-com of all things, so I don't know if anybody really cares how realistic it is. But I know that I read for another friend and they had a character going to casinos and it was set in SoCal. And I'm going, there aren't legal casinos around here except for on certain places. And I'm trying to like triangulate where they are and how long, I'm like, doesn't work. You, you got to either have them drive longer to get there or, and she's like, oh, I'll just take them out. I'm like, you don't have to just establish where they are to get them where they're going because otherwise I'm Or going- have them be like illegal backroom casinos. Ooh, that would have, that I don't think would have worked for what she was writing. But still, the point, <laughs> the point being, it's this reality aspect. And as soon as somebody goes, wait a second, that doesn't fit with my reality, it pulls them out of the story. And that's what we don't want to do as authors is pull them out of enjoying the story. So we have to do our homework to make sure that they aren't getting caught up in something that honestly, in many cases is minutia. Like me telling this person, there aren't any casinos all that close to her. And she lives in another part of California where there are more casinos, but we don't need somebody on like Google earth going, there's no Starbucks on the corner of blah, blah, blah. Uh, There's always a Starbucks in the corner of somewhere. (laughs) I, would I set my books from. in New England, so it's a Dunkin' Donuts for me. Oh, and I read by some of my Canadian friends, and it's Tim Hortons, and I'm going, I don't really know what that is, but it sounds delightful. But you all those local awesome. places make all yeah. the difference. Um, yes. My coffee shop is fictional Bean because... Yeah, beans of, beans of mine. It's called beans yeah. of mine. <laughs> yeah, and my husband still makes fun of beans of mine. He thinks Why? He's really, I don't know. He just thinks it's a funny name. It is a funny it's, name. But it's it's a very. It's a good name. It's, it's very like Gilmore Girls. Like, yeah. That's Stars yeah. Hollow. Bring it on. Why yeah. not? I, I yeah. yeah, I said that as like a compliment, just so people know. I love Gilmore we're Girls. Good. We're good with that. <laughs> No, but I think a lot of times I know that when you're when you're trying to come up with something, it has to feel authentic and sound authentic so people don't go, that's not real. But then you've got to Google it and make sure that it actually isn't real. So sometimes you're like, that sounds like a good name. Ah, crap. It is a real name. I can't use it. So you gotta keep and it can be painful. Yeah, you could you could have something where, you know, you you made this name and there's a reason for it and it's part of plot exposition <laughs> and then all of a sudden that blows up and you yeah you realize oh i guess there's seven of those in around the seattle area already huh that's weird i didn't yeah, know beans I, of mine was a franchise 
I Google my character names too to make sure it's like, oh, you just named him after a famous priest who got in, indebted, indicted for pedophilia. You don't want to do that for your leading man. Better check that. Just just yeah. check. It's quick Google. It's fine. Yeah, it can make you a little paranoid yeah. over time. Right? You can't help it. I mean, that's when you end up just naming everybody's name John Smith because you can't tell which John Smith I was talking about. Yeah. It's a different John Smith, okay? Yeah. So now, especially that you're writing a series, so Kate Barnes is obviously your main chick. You just have to like cross your fingers and hope that like nobody named Kate Barnes ever does something like really wackadoo in the news. Well, I think unfortunately, you know, Kate Barnes is kind of like Allison was saying. It's kind of like a John Smith. It's, it's pretty kind of ubiquitous. Um, no offense to anyone named Kate Barnes. I think it's a beautiful name, which is why she has it. Uh, but you know, I I, I think that going back to your point earlier about how much research do you, does it scare you? Does it not? Um, what did scare me originally, I, I always loved reading and writing. And when I got to college, instead of kind of staying with English lit and going that whole route, um, I was thinking that's never going to work. So I went into the corporate world. I got a bachelor's in business, master's in finance, went up the corporate ladder. So that kind of thing of having to do a lot of boring, no offense again to all my fellow friends who are in that discipline. You're talking to a former lawyer. You can say it was boring research. No one's going to come and get the pitchfork and say, how dare you say our boring research wasn't boring? It's why I went to school for theater. Yeah. (laughs) a theater major. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of, I've, I've, I've cut my teeth on, you know, page after page of really dry, of facts, factual things. Yeah, and I, I will say I love when you find the Easter egg, like you started to research because you needed to know about what happens if you break your ankle or something, right? And then you find some random little factoid in that and it takes you in a whole new direction i love that kind of stuff that's like that's the indiana jones part of research i love, I love it so you're saying that you're mixing the metaphors in a way i love because you're like when you find the easter egg because you went down the rabbit hole so i'm like so it's the cadbury bunny it's the cadbury egg when you find the cadbury egg that's the indiana jones inside is so delicious and no apologies to everyone who thinks cadbury eggs are disgusting i love them and i will eat all of the cadbury eggs that everybody's like oh, yeah what the heck i am is not this? What about the peeps, though? Peeps peeps are, honestly, they're just decorative. You can eat them, but they have kind of a weird texture because of the sugar on the outside. But they are excellent for diorama making, if you've seen, like, the peeps dioramas. They're also good if you let them get a little tiny bit stale and then dunk them in chocolate syrup. You're doing what now? You're dunking them in chocolate syrup? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm glad my kids aren't watching because I'll come out and find them getting to the marshmallows. And yeah, the I mean, food. it's I'll like basically giving yourself type 2 diabetes, Ooh. but kind of worth it. Kind of worth diabetes. it in the moment. Yes. Allison <laughs> is going to find peeps that are missing their ears, mm-hmm. covered yeah. in chocolate. It's going to be like a chocolate bloodbath out there. Yeah, it's going to be no. like a crime scene, like a serial killer, like is only targeting peeps and chopping off their yes. ears. I was at this, I'm keeping my voice down. I was at the store earlier and they Your had, kids are going to hear you. They, I hope they won't. Um, they had, <laughs> they already have their Easter displays out. And I found one that was instead of a chocolate bunny, it was a birthday cake flavored magical unicorn. So I got that one for my middle kid. So they're hiding in my closet right now. So I've got about a month to keep those hidden before my children get in. And they're like, what? And then all the magic is gone. <laughs> and I'll figure it out. Someday. But in that moment when they find it, you are yes. going to be the mom from the gods that was sent straight from the gods, right? 
they will be happy that that's what they got. But I will just have to be like, oh, I picked those up for you just because I just I didn't know what the Easter Bunny would bring. Because sometimes you don't like it because you're all ungrateful. (laughs) I didn't know until two days ago uh, that this was a thing, but I can't stop talking about it and thinking about it. Um, It's an Easter Bunny, like the chocolate Easter Bunny. Right. It's made out of cocoa pebbles. Cocoa pebbles? Cocoa, like yeah. the cereal? I've seen yes. the one that's the Fruity Pebbles one where it's white chocolate with, with the Fruity Pebbles inside. I oh, haven't even delicious. know there was, didn't even know you could get either one. Yeah. And I, Honestly, they have all sorts of unholy concoctions. You just got to look for them. I'd like one that's made of Rice Krispie treats. I'm sure you could do that. Honestly, you could probably make that by making uh, I, I, I definitely could not, but... But I understand people. I know. Would. I know what you're saying. You're like that. That's the skill set. That, that is something that I am never interested to fail. That's, that's me. There's the world of possibility, and then the world of reality. Right? Yeah, exactly. Where I'm like, oh, yes, you, it. I could make that myself. No. <laughs> yeah, I learned that the hard way earlier this week. Moving on. <laughs> so, so Marie, you're working on a third Kate Barnes novel how long yeah where is it set are you traveling for it how long is your process of like how long does it take to make a kate barnes book because there's there's a lot going on yeah especially if you could travel pre-covid i'm like timeline going excuse me covid's been going on since 2020 yeah and that was so so this book took a lot longer than i had anticipated to get it out and part of that was that covid came Another part of that was that when I went up to the Olympic Peninsula, I went up in late September, early October, 2019, right before COVID breaks. Mm -hmm. And I went up there and I got on a plane coming back and everybody on the plane, I don't think one person could control their mucus in any way that was socially acceptable. It was brutal. And Mm. I... Climbed out of that plane. My husband picked me up and I said, oh my gosh, I hope I don't get sick. So I get sick like within a week or so and I get this respiratory illness and the doctors can't figure out what it is. And they thought it was pneumonia. They thought it was this and that. At one point I was in the hospital on IVs and different things and it would come and go over the course of six months. Oh, and it was really brutal to try to write during that time. And, you know, yeah. so did you have long COVID? Is that what that was? Did they ever give you a diagnosis or did they just guess? Cause you would have been before the wave hit. So people weren't looking for it. Then. They weren't so, looking. Yes. And but so the doctors have always said, no, it couldn't be because this is by the time you get it, it's October and it doesn't, you know, start to get here until late November to December. So you know, I always feel like it's, we just didn't notice it until. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure what it was, but it, it was some sad days there for a while. Um, and that was a process. Then obviously the pandemic hits and a variety of other things get impacted. So it was kind of a, a one thing after another. Um, there was also, you know, just a lot of personal things. Uh, unfortunately, my family, we had a lot of serious illnesses and, and people who passed away. And um, so it was just a, it was a much, we moved twice during the process. Um there was just so much life going on uh, as I was writing this book, but I, I can't tell you how happy I am and how how excited I am for April 26th. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long time coming. 
Oh, and Marie, I wanted to know because so I come from a legal background and I stopped working to have my kids. So I there was the, there I always wanted to write and I always figured, oh, I'll write when my kids are little. And that did not work out nearly as easily as it sounded in my head because the kids had other ideas. But how did you make that transition from the corporate world and having that MBA to now you're writing Kate Barnes mysteries? Well, it was really funny because um, where I was in very fast paced dynamic environment. And I was actually um, starting to travel internationally and doing a lot larger, broader types of things in my career. And my husband had a job opportunity. Um, Allison, you may know this town. Not sure if you do, Jennifer. It's Chico, California. Chico State. Chico State. Sorry, I didn't go there, but my sister looked into it. And that was the one takeaway is it's a party school. It's a party school and it's a college town. So it's, it's really town. random where you have a large population while school's in session. Yeah. And then in summer, you can like literally just go into any store, any restaurant and nobody's there. It's kind of <laughs> like, So my husband had a job opportunity up there and um, that was not the type of environment for my job. That wasn't the market for what I was doing and where I was in my career. Uh, So we went up there. It was a good opportunity for him. And I moved up and I said, okay, well, what am I going to do now? So I continued to do consulting Mm -hmm. uh, in in my industry. This was your Um, time to go full Jessica Fletcher, take flower arranging classes, (laughs) make crepes, solve mysteries. Get your sourdough starter started. Yeah. Make bread. It was that and it was everything. And, you know, that was when I started with um, California Library Literacy, you know, helping volunteering to help adults learn how to read and just doing all those things that if you had the time, if you could, what would you do? And the book had always been a passion. I was a word nerd, as I told you, from day one. And at that time, the good thing about it as well was when I was in college, I had a choice of what I was going to major in and I chose the safe path. Yeah. And at, by, by that point in my life, I was no longer afraid. I was no longer afraid that I would fail in the arts. I was no longer um, that person because I had demonstrated, I'd learned things about myself, skills that I had. Um, I can do insane amounts of boring research sometimes. <laughs> and if I that, and goal, that is a skill. <laughs> it is. It, it is, is a skill. It's an endurance uh, test. It's a form of torture that Geneva Conventions somehow haven't really addressed yet. This is true. And I just realized that, you know, there were so many things, you know, setting a goal and sticking to it, no matter what, no matter where, no matter how, uh, that there were so many aspects that if I could take those aspects and apply them to this other world, then hey, I might just be able to do this. So uh, yeah, it was it was a really transformative time and I'm so blessed for it and so grateful because Kate Barnes came to life. Yeah, you've done it. You've done it twice so far. (laughs) Yay. Yes. Uh, Marie, you've been awesome to talk to. Um, Your book's available for pre-order now. It's coming out at the end of April. People, you still have time to get the first Kate Barnes mystery, which is called Dark Associations. Associations. I was going to say assassinations, and I'm like, I know that's wrong. <laughs> it's close, but no, no, no. I know that's wrong. <laughs> so start there. Start with uh, Dark Associations and then get Dark Obsessions on pre-order. So, yeah. I'm like, that's an order. And if you're watching it, 
yeah, that's a learner. Do it. Do it right now. I'll give you time. <laughs> and you can pick up Peeps or Cocoa Pebble Easter Bunnies if you need to to read with it. So exactly the yeah. chocolate syrup when it goes stale. Yeah, just a little stale, not completely mm-hmm. stale. So just, just so you know, I'm not like rocking the hobo life, just eating like, <laughs> pure stale peeps. peeps. No. I think this peeps not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When it's that. Then throw them away yeah. when they're just like a little crispy on the outside. Anyways, so that's disgusting <laughs> on my part. Yes, <laughs> that's why I write horror. <laughs> you know, this is going to show up somewhere in one of our books somehow. I just yeah. feel there's going to literally. Be I was just some thinking, sort of oh, peep thing. I should put Dyers. peeps in my current book. Oh. <laughs> Somewhere. And then the three of us will be vibing, right? Whoever wrote it, the other two are going to be like, oh, we were know. there when they were inspired by the peeps. But Jen, you just finished your book, so don't know, go back. And, and, and do Easter that. does not, no. it's don't. not don't Easter time. I'm not going back. I just Get it. clicked the right. end. Yep. Go. Yeah. It doesn't need a peeps scene. <laughs> it. It's not what it's lacking. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the live show. If you're watching this on the replay on YouTube, make sure to hit like and subscribe wherever that button is. And we will see you all next week.